Welcome to another episode of Everyday El Dorado. I'm your host, Deanna Bond, and we're celebrating 150 years in El Dorado. You know how I feel about it. Why would you want to live anywhere else? I know I wouldn't. Celebrating 150 years in El Dorado is brought to you by Everyday El Dorado in conjunction with Golden Road Studios, the Butler County Historical Society, home of the Kansas Oil Museum, the city of El Dorado, KBTL 88.1 The Grizz, and our series sponsor, Linda Baines, Realtor with Sun Group Real Estate and Appraisals. We're so very grateful for the support that makes this series possible. Welcome to another season of Celebrating 150 Years in El Dorado. I'm your host, Deanna Bond, and joining me is Suzanne Walenta. Hello. Hello. I was waiting for that sweet little hello. Hello. <laughs> how are you good how are you i'm good happy 2021 yes feels like we spent all of 2020 working on the first season yes between research and recording and this year is just about gone <laughs> i say that i mean it's march it is march but it's going way faster than it is march. yeah no it really truly is going fast and and some great things going on at the museum this mm -hmm. year. Yes, we've got several. Hopefully we um, will open probably in April, May, some time frame, mm -hmm. reopen to the public, which is great, um, and start doing little small things here and there. And then we also have the Rural Crossroads series, mm -hmm. which is going on um, right now on our YouTube page. We um, have about, I think, six more towns to go as of today. And we should finish that up in June. And then we're on to um, any El Dorado 150th activities. Exciting. It's exciting. So uh, for those listening, tuning in, if they have not seen any of the previous episodes, mm -hmm. they can find them on the YouTube channel, mm -hmm. which is? Butler County Historical Society. Um, if you just type that into YouTube, it'll pull up our page. And um, same with our Facebook. You can go to our Facebook, which is Butler County Historical Society, home of the Kansas Oil Museum. And um, we post the link, our YouTube links, to the page that day of. So either way, you can find the, the videos. Yes. So that's what I was going to ask. You have events set up. Is it just about every other Tuesday? Yes. Yeah. It, yes. Sorry, I'm trying to... All the weeks seem to be blurring together, so I'm trying to remember which what's good. But yeah, it should be every other Tuesday. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so those events are on Facebook as well. So right. if someone wants an easy way to find that video, they would just go to the Facebook mm -hmm. page, and then each one has its own listing. Yes. Perfect. And of course, we started with El Dorado. Yes. County seat of Butler County, so mm -hmm. that kind of makes sense. And uh, so it's been exciting. It's been fun to watch along with you mm -hmm. and, and and learn about the other mm -hmm. other communities in in butler county some of which have sprung up about the time that yes. el dorado yep. did mm -hmm. some a little later mm -hmm. but definitely those stories kind of um come up alongside we're actually doing potwin tomorrow and i was um interested it was fascinating to learn that actually potwin isn't necessarily as old as El Dorado, but the township is, there was a group of people about 1857 that came from Douglas County, Kansas, 
and settled up along the Whitewater in a town they called Whitewater City. So not the current Whitewater, a different one. They stayed there for a couple of years and there was a massive drought in 1860. They packed up, moved the buildings somewhere else, cabins. So yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. Yes. A little fun little tidbit about Plum Grove Township. Plum Grove Township. Plum Grove Township. I like that. Yeah. Sounds like it should be in a little house on the prairie. It does, yeah. Yep, it does. Story. Yeah, it really does. Because isn't that in? Let it is actually in. Isn't there Walnut Plum Grove. Grove? Walnut Grove. And we're Walnut River. That's, there you go. They so, came through here. Well, didn't they come through? I don't know if they came through Butler County. Well, I know that the little house on the prairie mm-hmm. is, there's one in Independence. Yes. Kansas. Have mm-hmm. you been there? I have. Yes, me too. Couple every time I kind of go through there on my way to mm-hmm. Tulsa, I gotta stop because I know it hasn't changed. But still, there's just something nostalgic and romantic mm-hmm. about reconnecting to those stories mm-hmm. that that Laura Ingalls Wilder kind of captured from her youth. Yeah, no, she was pretty cool. And it's uh, kind of a good segue. I wasn't planning it at all to talk about the stories that women documented mm-hmm. or were documented about them mm-hmm. because there's so few. Right. Um, but what I'm learning as we're researching El Dorado, Butler County, Kansas history, there were a lot of women keeping diaries. Oh yeah. On the frontier during the settlement of Kansas mm-hmm. from a territory to a state, but also across the country mm-hmm. because they either had the foresight to, to tell the story, um, one of the things that I've learned, and this may not be the case for everyone, but a lot of them had gone to school to be teachers mm-hmm. and planned to teach and maybe did come out to teach. So it just made sense for them to kind of write the story. A lot of them were sent back, mm-hmm. published in newspapers for us to read today. Sometimes they were published under a pen name, mm-hmm. maybe a man's name, uh, which is what we're finding, which kind of all leads into today's story. Um, and uh, um, this podcast series, you know, one of the things that we, we shared kind of, I guess it was that first episode, mm-hmm. um, the, the veracity of the stories we're telling here in Butler County and El Dorado. Um, what is the truth? Are we going to just tell the stories that we've been told because they must be true or go a little deeper? And so that's really was my goal all along with this podcast. Um, to document more along the research side of mm-hmm. what we're finding and um, and how we're uncovering it, because that's a story in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So uh, really exciting. Today is Women's History mm-hmm. Day, I guess. Women's International Women's International Day. Women's Day. Mm-hmm. Happy Women's Day. Yay. Um, and so it just seems fitting to be sharing the stories that we'll be sharing today. They're not necessarily all about women. But there is kind of that, that tie-in to, to the women's story in El Dorado. Um, and then the, the, the plan for this episode to air, if all goes well with technology and timing, would be on March 24th, that, that episode um, day, Wednesday. And that is um, a notable day. A notable day. So um, our town that we're celebrating 150 years, uh, September 12th, 1871. Mm -hmm. But the town as we know it now, we talked about the first founding, 1857, 
which sometimes isn't really acknowledged, recognized. We are now more. Mm -hmm. But really what is identified as the genesis is 10 years later in 1867 when people came to town and started settling. And the first plat... Notable women in history, there's mm -hmm. lots. I, mm -hmm. Tons. I'm a Joan of Arc fan. Joan of Arc? I mean, that's pretty cool. She's got a great story. She does. I've always been an Abigail Adams. Oh, I do like her. She's pretty great. But there's a bunch of great ones. A bunch of great pioneer. Guess, guess who we're talking about today. Who are you talking about? Frank Gordy. You're like, what woman is that? Right. Yeah, that's not a woman, but that's okay. What's the name again? Frank Gordy? <laughs> Frank Gordy. Yeah. Of Gordy Street and Gordy Park. Oh, okay. Cool. And the first plat. Okay. But he had a wife. <laughs> right. And she had a, an aunt. But women don't need men to be important. You're right. right. I totally went a little little sidetracked here, and that's we a... got a little interrupted, but it's fine. Always good to see Ken because um, it makes me happy <laughs> to tease him with the Ken says. So that we can talk about, um, we, you talked about dates, So because you, you said that it'll be air on the 24th. So mm -hmm. what happened March 23rd of 1868? Good question. So on March 23rd, 1868, was the day that what we now consider the original platting of El Dorado mm -hmm. to have occurred. And that plat was filed by B. Frank Gordy, the namesake for Gordy Street and Gordy Park. And so that was on March 23rd, and this will air March 24th. So um, it's just really good timing to kind of bring these stories together. Even though it's Women's, women's, women's Day, Women's Month, we're going to we're gonna see if we can take this story and find the women. Okay. That's a good challenge, yeah. Yeah. In fact, I think the International Women's Day um, theme this year is Choose to Challenge. Oh, that's cool, like I didn't know that. norms, gender mm -hmm. disparity, pay inequity. We're gonna to choose to challenge the stories of El Dorado oh, cool. and our founding and um, see if we can't find the women in that. Cool. So that kind of brings us all the way back around to um, kind of, you know, what uh, what I wanted to do with mm -hmm. this season. Um, you know, we've been re researching a lot of stories about our very early founders, and we've got a lot more stories to, to go. Um, but what we discovered is that, um, you know, in most cases, they were written by men. Mm -hmm. We have found some written by women, but oftentimes those stories were for lack of a better word, regurgitations of previous stories. Mm -hmm. And um, and, and it's my belief, again, just my opinion, kind of going to drop the conspiracy theory language maybe this year, but it is my op opinion and belief that those stories were written by flawed individuals who mm -hmm. really just wanted to show their best yeah. in order to leave a legacy. Right. And so sometimes that meant they only told part of the story. I don't want to go so far as to say they embellished, but definitely just that which showcased the best. Right. Well, and I think sometimes it's unintentional. Absolutely. We all have different, what do they say? There's three sides to a story, yours, mine, and the truth. Mm -hmm. We don't mean to be malicious and to leave, leave things out. It's just our version of an event. Absolutely. So that's sort of what I was uncovering and you, we mm -hmm. have found through all of this is that there's always more to the story. Mm -hmm. And that is true, I think, the intersection of where we'll see more of the truth. And so um, I've been watching a lot of documentaries because working on them and um, just getting new ideas for things. And one that I watched, a gentleman, he said, 
throughout history, stories had been passed orally mm -hmm. until writing came around. So when they were oral, they set a precedent that was understood by all, and then it was expanded on, but in the sense that when someone passed a story down that had been shared with them as a precedent, if they changed it or altered it, it was considered okay. They were changing it for the audience mm. that they were speaking to and to fit their circumstance. It didn't mean they were lying or plagiarizing by stealing that story. They were just using it to help with the illustration. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until writing was invented and these stories were put down that then they became law. They were fact, and they were now said, this is truth. Even though it may have been borrowed and expanded on from before, and it was accepted when it was an oral story, once it was written, no, what is written is the fact, and it's the law. Well, I think sometimes too with oral stories, it's about context, and it's about um, the culture of the time. So sometimes there are um, words used that mean something different to us today than it meant at the time. Like you can even look at like children's nursery rhymes, like Ring Around the Rosie. What that intended to mean, of course, is about the plague. But so everything has cues, maybe in polite society, you couldn't have used a certain word. So we have to use this word here. And then hundred years later, that word means something different or it has a different context. So you have to just constantly be aware of what those are. Absolutely. And that's no different than what we're finding with the stories mm -hmm. in El Dorado. So um, my goal wasn't just to share the stories because in telling the history of, a, of El Dorado, mm -hmm. 150 years, um, it would be tempting maybe just to open the history books and tell those stories. And we started. But in researching to verify and just find it a couple more sources to mm -hmm. support the stories, we were finding we weren't able to do that. Mm -hmm. we, that is not what we found. We found that those stories were, you know, the philosophy at the time was go ask so-and-so, they'll tell you. And because so-and-so said, that must be fact. Mm -hmm. and, and that isn't always the case. So in kind of unpacking that for, for our current and then future generations, what, I wanted to know more of that. And then we find all these Easter eggs, which is so great. So um, like, like you mentioned, the anniversary of the platting, what we call the original plat mm -hmm. of El Dorado for 1868 is this month, March 23rd. And so um, I just thought it would be fun for us to talk about Frank, be Frank Gordy, the name of uh, of our mm -hmm. of our Gordy Park now and street, but other than that, I didn't know anything about Gordy. Well, I see in your um, research there was some maybe possible question about whether he came in 1858 versus 1868. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so so a lot of the documented history mm -hmm. uh, that we traditionally recognize uh, is what we found is that Gordy came to town in 67, 1867, and um, he bought a 140 acre tract of land which is what we call the um, original plat. And it was where kind of central and where Gordy Street is now mm -hmm. and kind of the surrounding area. He, he filed that for record. And then he decided to uh, share, uh, sell several of those shares. So mm -hmm. it was, I think, divided into five parts to um, to other people living here at the time. <laughs> and part what I found that I didn't know is that some of those people was already inhabiting that land <laughs> for 10, 
10 years, they had buildings. So there were three buildings at the time. So it wasn't like he just found it. Mm -hmm. He just made it to the land office first, is, is, is my thought. After, and so what we have to do now is look in context. This was after Kansas became a state mm -hmm. in 1861. So the land and the ownership and the property, anybody who had filed under Kansas territorial it didn't necessarily mean that now they were the landowners now that was Kansas. It needed to be filed and and even if you had that property, I think, and now this is where someone like Ken would probably know mm -hmm. a little bit more. Um, I, my understanding is they had to go and kind of refile. This is my property, I've been mm -hmm. here this time. Um, now that we're a state, I wanna you know document, file it. Um, and I don't think in the beginning what my thought is those who saw that understood that to be the direction things were going and understood the law they saw the opportunity to go in and, and buy up land so that's kind of how i look at at mr gordy here that he saw that opportunity bought some land and maybe some other people were living on it now you mentioned yeah you mentioned that there were some other what were the buildings that were already on some of the property that he filed yes so in 1868, there was a 140-acre tract of land um, that that encompassed. So this is something important to remember: the original town site. So it was acknowledged that the the land that Gordy was filing mm -hmm. as his own encompassed original town site. So mm -hmm. people had already been here and were, in fact, at that time on here. Um, and that was entered into record March 23rd, 1868. And then he officially finished the procedure and I'm not sure what all that entailed the next, in April. Mm -hmm. And so that's, we have a couple of dates as to when was it finalized. Um, he then divided that 140 acre tract of land up and sold off a fifth of, so he broke it in five parts mm -hmm. and sold a fifth to each um, Henry Martin. Samuel Langdon, Byron Carr, and then he kept two two fifths so that okay. he was he had the majority of this this land, and he he formed a town company. Does this sound familiar? Mm -hmm. And what do you think he named his town company? Probably El Dorado Town Company. And you know I have not found proof as to why he chose the name El Dorado Town Company, but I'm thinking because the people who found the town in the first place had called it El Dorado Town Company. This was the land that they were living on. And um, at this point, several had died, several had moved away, several had left a fight in the war. And those who came back or remained were few. And I think, and again, this is my, um, my opinion. I'm not gonna use conspiracy. <laughs> but it is my theory that uh, he saw an opportunity to be the president of his own town company mm. and uh, also a fifth of the land that he sold to Henry Martin just happened to be the land that Henry Martin was already living on for 10 years <laughs> and had a store on mm -hmm. so I have a little I'm not sure the word I want to use for this but but I have a little um, suspicion that Gordy was in it for himself. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I know we're not supposed to talk ill of the dead, but my thought is he was definitely an opportunist. He saw a chance here and he took it. And as a result, we, we call it 
Gordy's claim, basically. Now, Henry Martin's store, what would be the correlation to where that is today? I know it's not perfect because our roads have changed. Right. The so, path of the road has changed. So where um, it was documented historically, mm -hmm. it was referred to as when historians were writing this down, uh, where Haberlines was located. So Haberlines was located where Robbins is today. And so that's right at the corner of Main and Central. Mm -hmm. And actually, because our streets have been widened and mm -hmm. adjusted and changed, Martin had, uh, so Haberlines and now Robbins is a brick building. Mm -hmm. Martin had a wooden frame store that was his mercantile. So he lived out a little, fur little further um, out of town on uh, his homestead. Mm -hmm. This was kind of his first hey, stake in the ground, put up a storefront, and it was wooden. And so it was more located, what we would think of as the center of Maine today, mm -hmm. like right in the middle of the street. Right. Because it was pretty much right at the junction of these two um, tra mm -hmm. trails where people coming in and out of town, northeast, mm -hmm. north, south, east, west. Right. And he was situated right there. And as the streets became official and more then buildings got moved over and those were the trails so we said we got to set a little further off that's cool that we can know exactly kind of where it was that's I pretty mean, cool and that's we found mean. photos mm -hmm. you uh the book we have um main and central yep it has yeah the people store mm -hmm. has some pictures of mm -hmm. that and that was really that property was really documented even further because our newspaper the butler county times gazette originally started as um uh, gosh, I forgot the name. Walnut of the Valley Times. Yeah. Started as the Walnut Valley Times mm -hmm. in 1871. So mm -hmm. Henry Martin was still there. His building was there and he was still living. And the, the paper's first office was upstairs at the top top story of that. Mm -hmm. So we have a really good provenance, 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 uh -huh. yeah, you said it right. telling us, uh -huh. showing us. So that is not in question. Mm -hmm. So that kind of helps us find our way. So something that was in question to me is Frank Gordy somehow saw the opportunity that this would be a great place to plat in his name and sell off some property to people who already live there and create a town company. But why would he know that if he was brand new to town? Mm -hmm. I mean, that was just a question I had. Why, why, would, he, why would he just think that? And, and why wouldn't he, if he was brand new to town, why didn't he pick some other, mm -hmm. pl any place? Because right. there's like, people are already here. Um, maybe I should put a pitch a tent over there. Mm -hmm. But I think he understood a little bit more of the history and the politics of the, of the town, the area. So upon a little further investigation, you know, I came across this, the history that our early historians did not have access to. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like they weren't reporting the whole fact they just didn't have it mm -hmm. we do have it now thanks to Augusta Stewart in her her journals um, she kept track of that very early history and so we're really fortunate that she kept a diary and documented um, the time that she was here in 1857 58 59 I believe she left in 60 and so that's a really rich history and uh, Augusta Stewart met Frank Gordy in 1857 or 50, 1858, I think, March. Mm -hmm. So I got to thinking, how did she meet Frank Gordy? Surely that's a different Frank Gordy. How popular mm -hmm. is the name Frank Gordy? Right. 
Well, his dad had the same name. Oh, so it's possible it's possible she met his dad. Probably not. Okay. Because his dad came here after the war. Frank brought him here. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, well, I say Frank brought him here. When Frank came back, his father first came to town. He moved here from back east. And he died here. And he is buried here. The dad did. Yes. So Benjamin Franklin Gordy, it's his, his dad. Um, and he is buried at Sunset Lawn. And I believe he died. He passed away in 1871. Did I put that? Did I write that down here on the timeline? Oh, yeah, you do have. I've never seen that. Yep, 1871. So he. So I went doing a little further digging, and that was his father. Mm-hmm. Um, and he died in Butler County. Um, but he is from, I believe, Pennsylvania. Um, and then he moved to Iowa. That's mm-hmm. where Frank and his brother were were born in Iowa. We kind of jump. We kind of move forward a little bit in the in the history of Frank Gordy, mm-hmm. um, but he was born either in 1839 or 1840 in Iowa, and uh, with his brother James. Mm-hmm. So they were they were born in Iowa, and I and my understanding from just following the paper trail of the census records and that kind of thing, um, they had come to Kansas together. And I believe it was after, so during the Civil War, then they went back to Iowa, served, um, at least I know Frank did, I think James did too, but I followed Frank, um, served with the Iowa Cavalry. And then when the war was over, he came back. And I, and I believe it was at that time he went, he brought his father back with him. So, um, so that kind of lets us know where he was before 1867, 68, mm-hmm. when he came to town. But then the, um, and maybe why he left town, but when he got here, uh, so they came to Kansas in search of, you know, wealth and Mm -hmm. their new life. And um, Augusta Stewart just happened, a little mention, it wasn't even a big mention, but it was a mention. And at that time, um, you know, you didn't see a lot of people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And when they came to town, that was probably big news. Sure. And she writes in her in her diary, which is now available, uh, printed as a four-set mm-hmm. journal of, of books called Augusta's Journal. We have them here mm-hmm. at the museum if anybody was interested in, in purchasing them. I don't or I don't think there's one volume we don't have, I think. You might be able to help them find it. But yeah, I mean, that's not, but yeah, we do have them for sale. Mm-hmm. And uh, so in her, in her journal, and I've it was in uh, March of 58. Let's see. Let's go check the thing. Um, Augusta wrote about a date. So this is why it was it was probably written down. She'd kind of gone out on an evening mm-hmm. little little dinner date, walk around town in the dark with <laughs> with her uh, future husband and her sister and maybe a beau that was courting her. Um, I don't have the details of the whole story right now. And when she came back to her her home, which was acting as a hotel at the time and uh, she noticed that the dinner she had set out was gone and there was a note on the table I think she maybe thought she was gonna have that dinner later and her guests who showed up thought maybe it was for them and they they left a note and they said uh, that they had brought the mail with them and that they were sleeping thank you for the dinner it was really good we'll be heading out tomorrow signed Jeremy Eastridge Eastridge did I say that right Mm -hmm. and Frank Gordy B Frank Gordy so his first kind of documentation is at that time. And, and I find that um, that is probably very accurate. 
it happened to be kind of just an afterthought, but it was relevant to the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. They'd been out, they came back, their dinner's gone, they had some borders, assumed it was for them. It made sense that she would write that, they left a note. They were delivering the mail. Mm-hmm. And I think in my, that's the first time I saw or have seen in anything where Frank makes an appearance in El Dorado. And so what we know is that James and Frank came down to Lawrence and I think they were still kind of finding their way. And this is where I kind of fill in the gaps, took a job bringing mail down to the new, new front, the new El Dorado on the, on the frontier. And I believe that was his introduction to this town. It was brand new, wasn't even a full year old at this point. El Dorado Town Company was incorporated at that point. And um, it's possible that he kept delivering mail and coming back. His brother eventually settled here, married, had children, and um, and as did Frank eventually after the war. And so in 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 the way I write the story is that I think he, he enjoyed El Dorado. I think it was beautiful and it was filled with opportunity. And it wasn't until he left and served and was like, I need to find a place that was a great place. And by the time he came back, it had changed. Mm-hmm. We know that there had been the drought. Obviously, people had moved. Um, so I think that was, I think probably Frank was savvy, you know, had some wisdom about him and uh, saw an opportunity to file some property, probably had some money from serving. I don't know where he got that. Um, and I think, so in my mind, when I kind of take a bigger look at that, I can see how that happened. I also, you know, we love these stories about Henry, Henry Martin. I feel like, you know, he was just such a good guy that sometimes he got taken advantage of. Yes, I would agree. Including being sold his own land. Back to him. But what we know, fast forward to today, that that property, some of that property was land that then Henry donated to the county to be the new county seat, which is where a courthouse is today. And that runs right along Gordy Street. And Gordy Street then runs down to uh, Gordy Park, named for Gordy. Um, so there's so much more to this story. Obviously, we're just we're just kind of I'm just getting the top of it. But when we have learned about Gordy in the past, there are some stories about Gordy a little further later and later on. Um, one that you found and first shared with mm-hmm. me, and um, I think in it was documented this story in the 1895. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it the Times by then? It was still the Walnut Valley paper. I think so. Yeah, I think I think it was a Walnut Valley. Yeah, it should have. Yeah, and um, and they did a Pioneers edition, mm-hmm. telling stories and documenting some of our early early pioneers. And so there was a there was a great story in there by about Frank. So I thought maybe could okay. you share that with us. And I will say you're talking about the 1895 Pioneer edition. Mm-hmm. That same year, um, they published. Um, it was I think it was. The yellow edition is what they called it, and it was a woman's edition section. And it is—it's amazing to read. They went through everybody in the county, and selected women. It's probably—I think it's about like 20 pages long. I might be a little off on that number. And it's just column after column of notable women in the county, 
and it's just amazing that somebody took the time to publish it, thought that that was important. And the reason it was yellow is because in 1895, there was a push in Kansas for women to get the right to vote. So um, the publisher of the paper was very much obviously into women's suffrage. So it was a special edition and a yellow was the color of women's suffrage. So that's why he did it on the yellow paper. It's, it's, it's fascinating. That's just my little, in honor of women, Women's Day. It's just amazing. I, uh, so it sounds to me like we'll be having future episodes a little more in depth mm -hmm. about this edition specifically. Yeah, it's great. It's, and it just, I mean, it also shows that in order for women oftentimes to have a voice, a man did have to be that, not, yeah, on our side, the push through the door. Oftentimes that is what had to happen mm -hmm. to, to get that next push. But yes, but back to the Pioneer edition, which they also call the pink edition. Don't know why. I mean, it's, it was published on pink paper. Why pink? I don't know, but it's called the pink edition. Um, and it's fantastic. It's a great edition as well. And it's got all these um, images and of people and homes and stories. It's a fantastic. So I just had a thought, I'm not sure it's mm -hmm. true, about the pink edition. Do you think that could be a response to the yellow? Because pink used to be a male color. Oh, I didn't know that. So, so I'm gonna dig back a little bit more. Uh -huh. And again, if got anybody who wants to give us a little more, <laughs> a little more insight into this, please feel free to send us an email, drop a comment, find Suzanne or myself on Facebook or Butler County Historical Society, home of the Kansas Oil Museum, or Everyday El Dorado. We would love your your two cents or or two dollars, whatever you've got on this. But my thought, and this just really popped in my mind right now as you were talking. Mm -hmm. If the yellow was the color for suffrage, mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, you know, obviously, uh, pink, because it was traditionally, it had been a male color to, hmm. for men. And my understanding is then, during the war, um, because there was so much bloodshed, that the men and the men's uniforms, mm -hmm. they'd clean them, they wouldn't stay white, they would be pink. pink. Oh. So that would be a sign of courage in battle so by fast forward to, and I think it maybe was around World War II then, at that point, I may be getting the story backwards, but I think then they decided that was a little, they didn't want to, to, to be reminded of that. Mm -hmm. So they changed that color to pink to be women and they made men a blue color. Hmm. That's my understanding that pink had traditionally been a male color. So again, that story might be a little uh, uh, oversimplification um, but if then they wanted to use yellow for suffrage, would this be the man's kind of be like, hey, we're helping the women, but men are still men. And oh. we're the pioneers, therefore the paper's pink. It's the pink edition. That is a really cool point, yeah. Because if we're thinking from our perspective mm -hmm. today, we would think, well, pink's women's edition. Why didn't they make the right. yellow paper pink and the other paper yellow? But I think that, that makes, it makes plenty of sense. Well, again, just my... Uh, thoughts, opinions, my perspective. <laughs> but again, that goes back to earlier where it's context mm -hmm. to us nowadays. I mean, I never, I didn't know that story. So mm -hmm. I, in my, I never knew why it would be pink. Mm -hmm. And so nowadays modern, we do don't, we have a disconnect. Why would you choose pink? What's, but 1895, it made perfect sense to them. They mm -hmm. didn't need to explain it because it made sense. Mm -hmm. Just is what it was. Yeah. And it was also a little subliminal like. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's a little message. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
So Mr. Gordy mm -hmm. and his story. So by 1895, he has become quite the, we'll call it a force about town. Um, he, he's a man who knows what he wants and isn't afraid to go after in some very aggressive ways. Um, there's, um, in this particular story, and it's long, so I'm going to try, I'll just kind of, kind of jump around. Um, so for example, he would ride his Cheyenne pony into any store he could enter from the sidewalk, demand to be waited on for his particular vanity, which was cove oysters in the can, soured up with acid vinegar to a pitch that would pucker up his tongue and mouth so that, that his volapuck would be shut off and he would only gesture like a deaf and dumb man. And again, when I say those words, those are, that's a direct quote. Mm -hmm. I'm not purposely mm -hmm. using those words. That's a quote. Um, so then we go to a different event. Um, there's a story that some individuals um, came, came from Emporia with a wagon full of prospectors and left them in a hotel in town. So you also have to remember, we don't talk about a lot. Um, El Dorado, like Wichita, like other Kansas, it is a frontier town. No, Wichita becomes a cow town and has a different kind of a legacy in its own right. But um, El Dorado's, you know, it's the same, the pioneer frontier kind of town, not frontier, pioneer town. Um, so these people have come in from Emporia and a wagon. And Frank is not excited about this. So he heads over to the hotel and he, um, just before, it's just before supper, the hotel is crowded. Frank opens the door and inquires if Cooper, Cooper is the man who brings the wagon of people, is there. He says he wants to kill him and kills once Frank wants to kill Cooper. And he was not going to allow anyone from Emporia to come down here and run this town. So he's definitely afraid that these people are going to come. And like you said, he saw an opportunity mm -hmm. in the town and he didn't want somebody else to scoop that up. He's in charge of this. Well, not... and he, I think, you know, um, sometimes the person, the, the perspective of a person is based on their own experience mm -hmm. and they, you know, might project onto someone else what they know themselves either have done, thought, do, whatever. And I think he maybe was like, if I did this, someone else might come do this and I'm not mm -hmm. going to let them do this. This is my town. Yes. Yeah. And we're, you know, it's still that, you know, front pioneer. Wild West. Wild West yeah. Wild West is the term I was looking for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he had his pistol in hand. Now I'm kind of reading a little bit from the article. Mm -hmm. And not finding Cooper, he blazed away at a lamp which had a reflector behind it and was hung well up on the wooden partition. How quickly that office was emptied and the guests dispersed. Some looked at the windows and jumped out. Others rushed out by the way of the dining room and he was left in sole possession. It was seven o'clock before things were calm and dinner was served. So it's kind of just, it's a good story about his, his demeanor, mm -hmm. his... My way or the highway. My way or the highway, yes. So, so yeah, I thought that that uh, really, I think to me, when I now think about, because before I never really thought about Frank Gordy or who he was. I, we had Gordy Park, Gordy Street, the end. I, I didn't think anything of it. Now I start to think a little bit more about the namesake mm -hmm. um, and uh, what kind of man he might have been. Um, and and you know, I find that fascinating. I know there's one more story that you had originally introduced me to. Oh, yes, I do, yes. And I don't have it in front of me, so I'm gonna try to tell it the best way. This is how oral <laughs> stories get changed around and around. So um, 
And we do actually have it written down mm -hmm. somewhere. So this is, I'm not making it that there is an actual. It was in a magazine. It was in, a, oh, I think article. it was like, yeah, it was a, it was published, I think in the 60s or 70s. And it's not Wild West Magazine, but something along those, that mm -hmm. term. And they published a story from our town that, um, and I, it may have to do with this group of, from Emporia. There's a group that comes down. Um, they, I, he meets, I think it might be the same group. That's kind of why I pause because I feel like there's another, but mm -hmm. so he, I remember that he, as they were a group was being mm -hmm. delivered to the hotel outside on the side, wooden sidewalk. Yeah. And so they don't know who Frank is. And as the story goes, he may have been a little inebriated, maybe a lot inebriated, <laughs> pushes, goes into this um, more hotel. I don't want to say saloon because I think it's more of a hotel restaurant. Mm -hmm. And these people don't know who he is. He's, um, he had the reputation of just taking his gun out. And not at this incident, other instances, it was known that he would, if when he was drunk, would take his, the story is not known, its story was, he would take his revolver out and shoot at the ground basically make you dance kind mm -hmm. of deal. And so he, that's just kind of that brashness that he walks into this hotel restaurant. These guys are like, we don't know you, get out of our face. They then proceed to push him through this large window. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, it almost severs his nose clean off. And um, he kind of gets, gets up and with his tail tucked between his legs and leaves. And it was the first time, I think one of the first times that people were like, whoa, somebody actually kind of stood up. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe he had, at some point in his lifetime had started to create a little bit of a bully mm -hmm. mentality. That's at least the way the story is told, mm -hmm. that that was what was going on. And so correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't this about the time that Gordy decides to move? I don't remember the date on that story. So That's let's a really see. great question. I don't um, know. By 1895, or shortly thereafter, so this story mm -hmm. happened in about 1895. The, oh, this first story I told. Uh -huh. Yes, yeah, that one. So mm -hmm. I'm thinking shortly thereafter, um, and why I, I think he, he shows up somewhere else. So mm -hmm. he and his family have moved to Paul's Valley, Oklahoma, which mm -hmm. is where they then live out the rest of their life. So I'm thinking that this might intersect with the time he left town. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't discovered the full, all the stories surrounding his departure, um, but I think uh, maybe that when he left, he bequeathed his um, ownership in the town company, his two-fifths of a percent, his mm -hmm. remaining land. Whether he bequeathed it or he was asked to hand it over or... I don't know the, the details there. Um, somehow, his land became maybe city property, and uh, but it is named now Gordy Park, and then we have Gordy Street. So somehow that's what happened to that, and he moves um, and finds himself in Paul's Valley. Um, and I found an, an article written about him, and someone was talking about this... Um, about him um, and it was written about 1895 so it says I hardly know if Frank Gordy is far enough away to make it safe for me to dare characterize him I just thought that was a great opening mm -hmm. line that's right he wasn't dead yet he was still very much alive he wasn't in town anymore and I'm not sure what I want to say because he might come back and shoot me <laughs> it's not what he said but what I right. felt from that um, 
and he goes on to tell a little bit more about his character. And he said, when Frank was goff, no frontiersman was ever more gentlemanly, genial, or kind-hearted than he. So I'm thinking goff much mean sober. Mm-hmm. That's my, um, nothing small or mean about Frank. Generous to a fault, lavish with his money, which he carried in rolls, pleasant to meet and intelligent in his talk, which had a spice of a racy Western phrases that to a novice were entertaining and captivating. He was the beau ideal of his kind. I like that, Mm -hmm. the beau ideal. When he was on, oh my, but he was the holy terror of the place. He would ride his Cheyenne pony into any store he would enter from the sidewalk and demand to be waited on. So this leads Mm -hmm. into the story that you shared with us. And I just thought, boy, that was a little bit, um, I guess, encompassing a little bit more into the man, mm-hmm. you know, than just, um, I think he was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't say it. <laughs> yeah, no, I think he had a problem. I think he had a drinking problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, so as I went fast forward to uh, Paul's Valley, Oklahoma, and the residents there and looking for his family, um, what we find is no mid- Frank recedes from the history books. We don't hear any more about him, which he was more visible mm-hmm. in the El Dorado community. But by the time we get to Paul's Valley, um, you know, uh, has he decided to retire? I think maybe maybe the alcohol and, mm-hmm. and, and this past is kind of catching up with him. Uh, what we find is that his wife has opened a hotel. It's called the Gordy Hotel. And his son, I believe is Frank Jr., uh, maybe had some run-ins with the law himself mm-hmm. and some problems with alcohol. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, but we don't hear anything else about Sr., Frank. Um, but what uh, we do find in 1910 is an article in the paper. So Mrs. Gordy writes back to El Dorado to um, inform the town of his passing. And... Um, and, and it's just a, it's a, I don't think I, I, uh, I, I, I don't think I put it in here, but it's just a real small listing. And it just says, you know, in case anybody's interested, and this was September 15th, 1910 is when he died. The article appears, I believe it wasn't until next, the 20, January, March of the next year. Um, and so she just lets, let, letting the town know that he passed away last September anybody who might still be interested. I have not found his place of interment. I, there's no mention of him in an obituary mm-hmm. anywhere. So, secretly, I wondered if Mrs. Gordy didn't just whack him, take him out <laughs> back, and put him out of his misery one day, and then she's like, nah, in case people wonder, I should just let people know he passed away in his sleep or something. I don't know, this is all just, I made that up. but. We, we don't hear any more from him, but we do, we do see evidence of Mrs. So Mrs. B.F. Gordy ran a hotel in Paul's Valley. And that's kind of where I picked up the story about Mrs. Gordy. So I thought it would be really fun to segue to that. We'll have to do that on the next episode of celebrating 150 years in El Dorado. So thank you for, thank you for joining me for this this uh i guess our our new new season yeah you're welcome
It was exciting. And uh, you can catch this and further episodes each week, Wednesday, right, on KBTL 88.1 The Grizz at noon on Wednesday. Or you can find it on the podcast afterwards each week on Everyday El Dorado. Wherever you hear podcasts, I listen on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or Anchor or Google Podcasts. There's so many. Stitcher. I don't know. Is that a podcast? I don't know about that. That one just popped in my mind. I don't know if that's true. Uh, but it's still like 10 different channels that you can oh, wow. find that's it cool. on. Yeah. So Perfect. until next time, thank you for joining us. I'm Deanna Bond. I'm Suzanne Walenta. And thank you for celebrating 150 years with us in El Dorado. Why would you want to live anywhere else? I know I wouldn't. Come on, I gotta share that. <laughs> Celebrating 150 years in El Dorado is brought to you by Everyday El Dorado in conjunction with Golden Road Studios, the Butler County Historical Society, home of the Kansas Oil Museum, the City of El Dorado, KBTL 88.1 The Grizz, and our series sponsor, Linda Baines, Realtor with Sun Group Real Estate and Appraisal. We're so very grateful for the support that makes this series possible. All views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the individuals expressing them and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or positions of Butler Community College or KBTL 88.1 The Grizz, El Dorado, Kansas, Radio for Butler. No, I'm not a writer. Okay. So that's it for me here on Everyday El Dorado, but... Keep an eye out and an ear open for your source of information on the fine art of living well every day in El Dorado. Have a great day. No, I'm not a writer. Okay.